we're going to uh, play a guessing game. All right, we're going to put a quote up on the screen, and I, I want to see if you can guess who said it. It says, I'm not afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Who said it? Was it, uh, put the, let's put the answers up there, William Shakespeare, George Carlin, or Woody Allen? Hmm? Lock in your answers. Was it Shakespeare? Who thinks it's Shakespeare? No, nobody. No, it doesn't sound like him, does it? In fact, what Shakespeare said was, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools this way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. And scene. <laughs> Macbeth, Act 5, Scene 5. Um, George Carlin. Anybody? Vote for Carlin. It kind of sounds like something he could have said, but, but it wasn't Carlin. What, he, what Carlin actually said about death was that death is caused by swallowing small amounts of saliva over a long period of time. So the answer is C, Woody Allen. I'm not afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Man, I felt that way, haven't you? We know that death is inevitable, it's, it's going to happen. We just think it would be better if we, we weren't there when it occurs. But the truth is, death is part of life. And because it's part of life, we have to learn how to face our own death, and we have to learn how to face the deaths of others. And so fortunately for us, the Bible talks about both of those things. In fact, if we looked at all the verses in the Bible about death, it's about 50-50. About half of them deal with our own death and how to prepare for that. And the other half deal with how, uh, with how we handle, how we manage and make our way through the death of a, a friend or a relative or a loved one. Last week we talked a little bit about preparing ourselves for our own death. If you'd like a, a copy of that CD, there's some of those at the Welcome Center. Today I want to deal with the other side. How do we manage, how do we make it through the death of a loved one. That, that's what most of us are going to experience first. I mean, before we die, most of us are going to experience the death of a, uh, perhaps a grandparent or a parent, a brother or sister, a friend. How do we face those situations with unbreakable faith? Get out your, your message notes, if you will. Make sure you have something to write with. The, the scriptures that we're going to use this morning are on the back of the notes, so you can follow along there. They'll be up on the screen as well as we go along. Space inside there for you to take notes. We'll start by looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. The Apostle Paul is writing uh, to some Christians, some followers of Jesus Christ who live in the Greek city of Thessalonica. And they are people who have experienced loss. Uh, perhaps, again, perhaps it's a loved one or a friend. Perhaps it was someone in their, their church who had passed away. And they have questions. 
They want to know what happens. Where are they, perhaps? What, what's going to be the end result for them? And so Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Now, I want you to draw a circle around that word grieve, and I want to make sure that we see this right off the bat. Paul is not saying that Christians should not grieve. I, I, I run into some people that believe that, that think that, that, that say, you know, when someone dies, uh, uh, Christians should just put on a happy face. Pretend that nothing is wrong because we're Christians and, hey, it's all good. And, and, you know, there's a heaven and we should be full of joy even in bad circumstances. Well, yeah, there's a heaven. And yes, we should have joy, but it's okay for Christians to mourn. There's nothing wrong with mourning. There's nothing wrong with crying at a funeral. It's a sad time. We're sad for our loss. We're sad to be left behind. We're sad because we're going to miss the person who is gone. And nothing in the Bible says that it's improper to mourn. Paul doesn't say, I want you to know what's happened to believers who have died so that you will not grieve, period. That's not what he says. He says, I want you to know how this whole thing works so that you won't grieve like people who have no hope. You see that word grief there, or grieve, that we circled? Literally, it means inordinate sorrow. Inordinate sorrow? Yeah, that's why the Bible translates it grief. What it means is that believers in Jesus don't have to have inordinate sorrow when somebody dies. Yes, we mourn. Yes, we grieve. But we don't have to be knocked off our faith. Our world doesn't have to collapse. Our faith doesn't have to break because someone we love has passed away. We began this series on Easter Sunday. and We based it on a story Jesus told about two people. Now, Jesus told it in the context of building a house. and He talked about a man who built his house on the sand and another one who built his house on the rock. And when the rains, the storms came, the house in the sand collapsed because the foundation was no good and the house on the rock stood, withstood the storms. What Jesus was talking about, where are we building our lives? You see, he called the one man unwise because he was building his life on shifting sand. And the other person Jesus called wise because they were building their life on something solid, on a solid rock foundation. And the person who builds their life on shifting sand, is going to face death just like anybody else. But because their life is not on solid footing, they will be knocked down. They will not be able to withstand the storm when death comes. And there's going to be an inordinate amount of grief. But when our life is built on solid rock, when our life is built on, on God and on His Word, when death comes our way, we're going to mourn and we're going to weep, but it doesn't have to break us. The Bible tries over and over to remind us that death doesn't have to break us because we can understand what's really going on, what's really happening. There's probably no single verse that states it better than 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. 
Again, Paul is writing to a group of Christians and he says this, We know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. Death is a reality. And in recent days, it's just become a whole lot more real for some of us, hasn't it? I see Sherry sitting back there. She buried her son on Thursday. Yesterday, some of us who have students at Carroll Elementary got the call. Cody Green, a little fifth grader we've been praying for, passed away yesterday. Death is a reality. I want to tell you what humbles me and what strikes awe in me. is that when I was planning my preaching calendar, I planned my preaching for an entire year. When I was planning my preaching calendar last fall, God knew this message was for this Sunday. This has been in the schedule since last October. God knows what He's doing. And He's even willing to use us to do it. It hurts when death comes our way. There's no way around that. And this message is tough. There's no way around that. But, but I believe, I truly believe, that if we will listen closely today and we'll allow these scriptures to become part of our lives and, and we'll take some notes, have something that we can refer to as we go forward, then I believe that even in the midst of a difficult situation, we can find hope. We can find solid ground on which to stand. We can find eternal principles that will help us to face death with unbreakable faith. The first one is this. It's in your notes. Turn to God first. Turn to God first. James chapter 4 verse 8 says it this way. It says, come close to God And God will come close to you. Some translations say, draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. But we struggle with that, because what does that look like? What does that look like, Pastor? I've lost somebody close to me. I've lost somebody I love. So how do I draw close to God and experience God drawing close to me? One of the heroes of the Christian faith is a British pastor named Charles Spurgeon. You may or may not be familiar with with his name, but I'm going to tell you that You've heard him quoted or paraphrased, credited or not, in about uh, 75% of every sermon you've ever heard, mine included. He pastored the Metropolitan Baptist Tabernacle in London, England, for nearly 40 years in the late, uh, mid to late 1800s, the largest church in the world at that time. In October 1856, Spurgeon faced a tragedy that affected him for the rest of his life that rocked his faith. He was preaching to a crowd in excess of 10,000 people. Their church was too small, so they were meeting in the Surrey Music Hall in London. And really, that hall was too small of an arena for the size of the crowd. And people were packed in, and suddenly someone yelled, fire. And chaos erupted. And in the chaos, hundreds of people were injured, and seven people died that night during their worship service. 
If you read Spurgeon's writings, it's easy to see that it affected him for the rest of his life. He, he questioned why it happened. He questioned God. He had a lot of issues. He just couldn't quite figure out. But let me tell you that he did what James 4.8 says. He drew close to God and he experienced God coming closer to him. And he spoke about that experience and he, he wrote about it. And, and the truth that he expressed has comforted and encouraged believers for over 150 years. Here's what Spurgeon said about that event that night, years later talking about death. He said this, God is too wise to be mistaken, and God is too good to be unkind. When you can't trace his hand, you can always trust his heart. Listen to me very carefully. When we lose someone close to us, if we try to trace the hand of God in that circumstance, if we try to figure out the, the why, why did this happen? Why did this person have to die? God, why was this person taken from me? We will make ourselves crazy. We'll be left distraught. We'll be bearing up under a load that God never intended for us to bear. It will leave us heartbroken, head spinning, trying to make sense of something that just doesn't make any sense. But if we will choose to draw close to God and trust His heart and acknowledge that He is good, that He loves us, that He cares for us, that He knows our pain, He knows full well what it means to lose someone someone we love, then we'll find that he'll come close and he'll bring comfort and he'll bring encouragement and he will show us how gracious he is and how kind he really is. We live in a perfect world and none of us None of us are immune to the sorrow and struggle that comes along with death. But let me tell you what we have. We have a God who says, let me be here for you. Let me be here for you. Last week we touched on some of the big losses that King David had suffered in his life. And we talked about how he wrote the 23rd Psalm, a source of, of great encouragement. I have used it at almost every funeral I've ever preached to help people in their time of loss to, Encourage them. Well, I want us to, to read a verse from Psalm 23 out loud together. It's Psalm 23, verse 4. It's in your notes. It's up, be up on the screen. I want us to read it out loud together so that it can serve as an encouragement for us today. So let, let's read that together. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. Underline that phrase, you are with me. You are with me. When God, God is saying to us, when you're walking through death, when you're walking through loss, I'm with you. I'm not sitting up in heaven 
wringing my hands. Oh, my me. Oh, M me. I hope they make it. No. I'm right there with you, walking with you, walking through this with you. David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and staff is what a shepherd uses to protect their sheep. Last week we we saw Psalm 23 verse 1 where David said, the Lord is my shepherd. Again, it's like God saying to us, not only will I be there to comfort you, but I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to protect you. If you'll draw close to me, my heart, my longing is to draw close to you in, in difficult times. If we will walk with God, something interesting happens. We will find that we're no longer just talking about God. We're talking to Him. And we will find that we don't just know about God, but we know Him. Turning to God doesn't mean that our pain will disappear. But we'll sense, we'll have this sense and understanding that He's here, that He cares, that He's protecting us. Then there's a second step in facing death with unbreakable faith. You can write this down. We need to give ourselves permission to mourn. Just give ourselves permission to mourn. When we've lost someone who's close to us, it helps if we understand that our healing doesn't happen all at once, that it comes to us in stages. And all during that time, all during those stages, God doesn't expect us to act any other way than how we feel. When we experience loss, we're going to feel it. The Bible says that's how life works. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 4, we're told that there's a time to cry and a time to laugh. That there's a time to grieve and a time to dance. Deep loss produces deep emotions. Deep loss produces sorrow and grief. King David, when he had lost his infant son, said in Psalm 119, verse 28, I weep with sorrow. Encourage me with your word. So our grief and our mourning comes to us in stages. We move through stages. People grieve in different ways, but the stages are similar. And so in your notes, I've included the five stages of death that were identified by Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in her groundbreaking book written in the late 60s on death and dying. And the interesting thing to me about these stages is that they very closely mirror what I think the Bible teaches and shows us about moving through the grief process. The first stage is denial. That's where we don't even want to acknowledge that the loss has has occurred or that it's going to happen. And then we move from that stage to anger. It's very common to feel angry in times of loss, even angry at God. I think that's another reason it's important to to draw close to Him and, and let Him be our source of encouragement. And the next stage is bargaining. If you've been through loss, you you know this stage. You know when you're willing to do anything for this not to happen. You know, I've seen parents wish they could take their children's place. 
in their suffering and what they're going through. Bargaining is also where we're tempted to exchange our pain for anything, any temporary solution that will make it go away. That's why it's not uncommon for people to suffer through grief and turn to alcohol and drugs because in the moment it will remove the pain. The problem is the pain always comes back. And it comes back worse. And when we get in that cycle, then it's very easy to find ourselves in the next stage of depression. Depression is so common in times of loss because the funeral is over and funeral dinner ends and our friends and our family, they go back to their lives, right? They go back to work. Everybody else moves on. We're left to deal with the loss. So depression can creep in. But there's a final stage. Acceptance. I think that's where God wants to move us. To acceptance. Not in the sense that we just get over it and we move on. Listen, we never get over the loss of someone close to us. We will, it will be part of us for the rest of our lives. No, not, Acceptance is when we acknowledge that God is in control. Acceptance is when we decide that we're going to trust His heart this time. Acceptance is when we decide that we're going to allow this to draw us closer to God. Acceptance is when we decide to acknowledge that God may even use what we're going through to help someone else through a time of loss in their life. No one can comfort another person like someone who's been comforted by God. God can take our greatest loss and use it. He can take our pain and our hurt and use it to be an encouragement to others. As we move through the stages of grief, God says there's a promise. It's found in Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, where it says, God blesses those who mourn. For they will be comforted. God blesses those who mourn. He says, draw close to me. He says, it's it's okay to mourn. And he says, don't try to do it by yourself. That's the next step. Write this down. We need to seek support from others. We seek support from others. If we try to move through the phases of grief on our own, it will not go well for most of us. It will not go well. And God goes out of His way in the Bible to show us that He never expects us to face the trials and the difficulties of life alone. He wants to be there for us, and He wants us to be there for each other. In the Old Testament book of Exodus, Moses is in charge. He's responsible for leading God's people through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And in Exodus chapter 17, an enemy army attacks. They attack the people of God. And God gives some instructions to Moses. He go up to a high place. And, and as long as your arms are up, as long as your arms are in the air, I will give my people the victory. But when your arms fall, defeat is certain. And so he goes. He takes, two, uh, he takes his brother Aaron and he takes another man named Hur. That's kind of cruel to name your son Hur. But... This was the Bible. 
and they go up on a place where they can see the battlefield. And, and, it, and it, what God said is exactly what happened. As long as Moses' arms were in the air, his army, God's army, was prevailing and winning the battle. But when Moses got tired and his arms fell, then the enemy army began to get the advantage. And in Exodus chapter 17, verse 12, the Bible says, Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. Now pause right there for a second. Loss, grief, is exhausting. And you feel so tired. Like you can't hold your arms up. So Aaron and her found a stone for him to sit on. A solid place for him to rest. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. And so his hands held steady until sunset. We go on to find out that God's army won the battle. What an incredible picture of support. The kind of support that we need. We're not in a military battle. But in a time of loss and grief, we're in a spiritual battle. And we need people who will help hold us up, who will hold up our emotions, who will hold up our attitude, who will help us hold up our hope. That's why God gives us each other in the church. Because quite simply, church is a spiritual family. A spiritual family that can help us get through difficult times. That's why one of the next steps on the back of your Connect card is enrolling in the Explore membership class. Because if you've been coming here for a while and, and you haven't made the decision to join New Hope as a spiritual family, I want to challenge you to do that. We have those classes every three months or so. In fact, we've got one today at 1 o'clock, but the next one will be coming up this summer. But listen, here's why it's important. Because every one of us is just one unexpected phone call away from facing loss and death. You never expect that call. And we can't face it alone. We don't have to face it alone. When we become part of God's family, we can draw on the comfort and strength and the hope of others when we need it. And God can use us then to be a help and an encouragement to other people. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, the Bible says, Share each other's burdens. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. We can walk through this together. And then there's a final way to face death with unbreakable faith. Use the opportunity to share Jesus. We shouldn't be afraid to talk about our faith at a time of death. Faith brings comfort. Faith brings healing. Faith comes up in conversations in time of death. I, I've done funerals for families that, that maybe weren't connected to the church I was serving or uh, people that I didn't know. And, and there's been a time or two when I've had people say, well, you know, we're not really religious, and so we'd prefer that you, you know, not talk about religious things in the funeral. And I have to, again, I, I try to be very kind and very gentle, but I have to ask them, then what is it you expect me to do? See, all I know how to do is face 
loss and difficulty with faith. At the hospital the other day, I was talking to Sherry and Sam. We kind of came to the, uh, uh, we agreed together that we could not see, we could not understand how a family could face going through what they were going through without Jesus. And how do they do it? How do they how do they do it? I've been at the bedside of many people who are dying. And I can tell you there is a tremendous difference between someone who dies without Christ and someone who dies in Christ Jesus. There is a tremendous difference. And it's such it's so stark. It's such a cold re- reality of difference that it has motivated me to want to tell people about Jesus, to use the opportunity of death when eternal things come up anyway, to talk to people about Jesus because I don't want people to have to face that without the Lord. God can bring good things out of a bad situation when we're willing to use the opportunity to tell others about Jesus. Death can help us point people toward life. As strange as that seems, it can help us point people toward God. It can give us an opportunity to remind people of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I want to give you another memory verse. Doggone it, you did so well on the one last week. that uh, I, just, I want to give you another one. It's one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. It comes when the Apostle Paul is facing um, the reality that his own life could end very soon. It's when he's writing to the Philippian Christians, and he writes this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. I want us to read this out loud together, too. It's, it's in the box on the back of your message notes to set, offset it as our memory verse. Philippians 1.21, read this with me. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. Dying is even better? What does that mean? It means that when a believer in Jesus Christ dies, everything gets better. Everything gets better for them. Heaven is better. Eternity is better. They're in a place now where they will never hurt, never be in pain, never have sorrow, never cry, never be in need, where they will never experience anything other than fullness of joy in the presence of God with Jesus Christ for all eternity. Life gets better. Folks, here's the big secret that nobody may have ever told you about being a follower of Jesus. Christianity is not just the best way to live. It's the best way to die. Death is certain. Death is certain even for Christians. But it is not final. There's a hope. There's an expectation. There's a a reward. There's comfort in knowing that heaven awaits us. And that doesn't just comfort us. It challenges us. It challenges us to tell those who still live, our friends, our family, about Jesus. It's an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Only Christians have victory over death. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You may be familiar with this passage of Scripture, portions of it anyway. It's another one of those that gets read at funerals. 
1 Corinthians 15, verse 54, says, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. For followers of Jesus, death is certain. But the sting of death has been taken away. Death is going to come, but that pain does not have to destroy us because we understand that death is simply passing from one life to another. And that, that should motivate us to tell as many people as possible the good news about Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this. If you've never entrusted your life to Jesus Christ, you've never made a decision to follow Him as Savior and Lord, why not today? Why not say yes to Jesus today? Here's what happens when we turn our life over to Jesus. He forgives us. We get a, a new start. He, he forgives us of all of our sin, everything we've ever done wrong. He gives us new purpose, new passion for life. And He gives us the assurance of heaven. If you've never turned your life over to Jesus, why not do that today? Because you know what? If we'll do that, if we will do that, we can thank God that we can face the certainty of death with unbreakable faith. We can turn to Him in times of loss. We can draw close to Him. We can give ourselves permission to mourn and know that God will walk with us through the stages of our grief. We can have the spiritual support of other believers in that difficult time, and we can let God use us both to encourage others in their loss and to tell people about Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who defeated death in the victory of His Son and who gives us a life that's unbreakable. Now, right here is where I normally ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to do that in just a moment, but I want to do something else first, something just a little different, out of the ordinary. I want to offer special prayer for those of us who are, who are dealing with loss. Some of us are right in the middle of it. And that pain is, is fresh, it's recent. Others of us may be struggling to get over a loss that happened a while ago. Months, maybe even years. And there are others who know someone about whom the doctors have said there's nothing else we can do. And the end is coming. Maybe very soon. Here's what I would like you to do. And I, I, I don't mean this to embarrass anyone. I really feel like this is a divine moment and can be helpful to those of us who fit in one of those groups. If you fit in one of those groups, you're mourning a loss and it's, it's recent. That, that hurt, that pain is fresh. Or you're dealing with loss that happened long ago. 
or you know someone that it appears that the end is imminent for them, will you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand up where we can see it. Hold it up there for a moment, please. Now, look around. Hold your hands up. Keep your hands up. Look around, folks. Because here's what I want you to do. I want us to reach out and take the hands of those people who have raised their hands. Will you do that? Just do that right now. If you have to move, adjust where you're sitting, reach across an aisle to somebody, do that. And when we've done that, I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes and pray together as a church family. Will you do that, please? 